0: Thank you. Thank you uh, to Ryan for that. He's obviously getting his retaliation in first because I have been known to say some unkind things about Americans, which he has the misfortune to be one of. For me, uh, the, the great blessing is, of course, that there are so many things that one can make fun of for being an American. Anyway, um, You will see perhaps a a subtle shift in the title if we move on to the next slide from Ryan's title. He called it I'm Psalm 71, and I put that word when in there. Um, We may all get there at some stage. We may not. Um, God has his own plans for us. Uh, But the theory behind the process of Psalm 71, possibly David writing it, possibly somebody else, um, takes us into the heart of God and, and what he has for us. So the, the plan is that I'm going to do a little bit of, uh, of background. Um, we're going to look at some of the detail of Psalm 71. Uh, Maggie's going to, to share a bit as well. Halfway through, we're probably going to have a break during which we'll take the offer tree as well, because that fits into the process of giving and responsiveness to God. So, having reached this, whatever age it is, what can I remember? Um, there are quite a few things up there on the, the screen. Some of you may have heard of them, um, some of you may not. So, England winning the World Cup, of course, has to be remembered, not least because it's never happened again, nor did it ever happened before and probably will never happen again in the future. Some of the other things that you will have remembered, John Kennedy... Um, The first man to to walk on the moon. Uh, Beatles, even the first hit. Have you ever heard of the farthing? Have you ever seen the farthing? This wonderful little coin that I grew up with that was virtually worthless and eventually faded out of life. Abba, for the South Africans amongst you, uh, particularly for Francois. uh, Graham Pollock, um, great South African cricketer who got caught in the problems caused by apartheid and the ban on South African uh, sportsmen traveling to to other countries. Um, Then on a slightly different note, um, I'll come back to this a bit later on, back in the 60s, huge social revolution, changing culture, changing lifestyle, uh, sweeping across Europe and America. And the church in those days was pretty much dead on its feet in many aspects, Some pretty good teaching going on. Uh, but no real signs of active life. And God released uh, a new wave of the spirit. So alongside the changes in social climate, there was the change in the spiritual climate as well. But then, of course, the most significant on that slide, that last one, I married my beautiful wife in 1972. So, so what are the risks and challenges that, that come about? There's a lot of pessimism about the benefit that comes from looking back. Uh, There's that well-known quotation from Hegel um, that nobody ever learns anything from history. Uh, In the Bible, Ecclesiastes um, is the book that looks back with huge pessimism, probably written by Solomon at the end of a life where he had every access to power, to wealth, to all that wealth brings. Goodness knows how many wives he had, whether that's a blessing or not. He had children galore, Um, And he had huge influence, but his conclusions, everything is meaningless, completely meaningless. And he took a review of every part of life, of power, of wealth, of hard work, of pleasure. And at the end, he makes that final conclusion that the only thing that is worthwhile, fearing God and obeying his commands. But we can learn from the past. Uh, The Bible is very strong on that. Uh, It provides a strong, reliable source of remembering a whole variety of events, events that show the power, the faithfulness, and the love of God. So, um, Ryan mentioning Exodus. At that point, God, who had taken his people into Egypt and had taken them through a process which was tough and which was difficult, but actually built them together as a community and made them stronger as a community, then decided to take them out. And he demonstrated to one of the major powers of the world at that time how he could do that. Even more significant, of course, for us is death and resurrection. The fact that his son came not only to die, uh, but to be brought back from life and to release so much into our lives. The power that comes from his position at the right hand of God, and the release of the Spirit available to all of us at all times. But another part that the Bible shows is the results of choosing a way other than God's way. So often, God's people have made their own choices, made choices that are different from the ones that God wanted them to. We could go back to Adam and Eve, uh, but that follows all the way through the history in Israel. But the comforting part of that, there is always a way back. That classic statement from 2 Chronicles 7. If my people will humble themselves and do three things. Pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. The result will be that God will hear, he will forgive, he will restore. That opportunity that was true then is true today. There is always the chance to participate in the way forward that God has identified. And above all, in God's economy, there is no retirement age. There is never a point where God does not have something that we are able to do. So looking back on our lives and our history within um, in the Christian faith. Both of us came to faith relatively early in, in our, our mid to late teens. And one of the most significant uh, influences on ours is the importance of meeting together outside uh, the Sunday meetings that we have. Uh, how many of you here are part of a group, a community group, or some other group? Well, it's quite a big chunk quite a big chunk, there are all sorts of opportunities for getting together for encouragement, for support, for challenge. We've been part recently of, of a group that's been led by, brilliantly led by, Eduardo and Emily over there, and we shall miss you guys when you go at the end of the month. Uh, thank you for that. And and some of the things that we have learned over the last few weeks, working through a, a book called Crazy Love, very powerful, uh, and a way of, of keeping us moving forward. It also allows that sort of context to try out and develop the gifts that we've got that God has given us to do that within the context and they may be the smaller uh, smaller gifts, the interaction with other people, the ability to learn from other people, to give to other people, to share our experiences. It may be the opportunity to test out uh, the more overt gifts of the spirit that God wants to release. So gifts of prophecy Perhaps gifts of understanding what's going on in someone's life so that they can pray at them. A safer context in which to do that. What makes for a successful group? If you're part of a group, I'm sure you've been through all sorts of phases. Sometimes it's absolutely great. You come away alive and buzzing other times, less so. And sometimes that's our fault. Sometimes there is no particular reason for it. A lot of research about what makes it for a successful group Saw one study recently that said from all the research that they had done, there was only one thing that was consistent in making a group successful, and that was the extent to which the leaders and the people within the group prayed for it. So whatever you do, whatever you set about, the format that you use, relatively insignificant compared with the extent to which we pray the group we're in, the leaders, the leaders pray for us. So what else comes from living a long life? We see many examples in in the Bible of people, um, the pattern of their life over a period of time, some who came to faith late, um, but lived it right through to the end. so we had the great patriarchs, Abraham and Moses who started on their walk closer with God quite late in their life. The disciples, most of them were in their 30s, late 20s perhaps, before they started, before they realized who Jesus was. Others, whole life dedication, people like Joshua, people like Samuel, who we can see throughout the whole period of their life, um, fixed and focused on God and the things God was able to do through them. There are others who had highlights in their life, But problems, particularly in later life, uh, which were often rooted in the poor decisions that they took early in life. So people like Isaac, Jacob, Eli, all fall into that category. And then we come to David. From his early years to the end of his life, he had an ear for God. Uh, The psalm we're going to be looking at may be written by him. Many others were. Certainly this particular psalm reflects an experience of life that. David certainly had. We saw in his life an amazing period of endurance, amazing faith, incredible patience, allowing God to do things in his time scale. Things were pretty dire at many stages in his life. He was in exile. He was at fear for his life. He had the opportunity many times to take action that would have changed the situation it appeared to him, but he was prepared to honor God and to wait for God's timing. He was a great risk taker. He would do things that nobody else was prepared to do. But even David still got relationships wrong. His children caused him considerable pain in his life. There can be no guarantee, however close we are with God ourselves, That those who come after us will follow in our way. Um, And for many of us, that's a, a painful experience. So let's look at Psalm 71. Text will come up on the screen. And as we look through that, let's read together O Lord, you alone are my hope. I've trusted you, O Lord, from childhood. Yes, you've been with me from birth, from my mother's womb. You have cared for me. No wonder I am always praising you. My life is an example to many because you have been my strength and protection. And that's why I can never stop praising you. I declare your glory all day long. And now, in my old age, don't set me aside. Don't abandon me when my strength is failing. For my enemies are whispering against me. They're plotting together to kill me. They say, God has abandoned him. Let's go and get him, for no one will help him now. Oh, God, don't stay away. My God, please hurry to help me. But I will keep on hoping for your help. I will praise you more and more. I will tell everyone about your righteousness. All day long, I will proclaim your saving power, although I'm not skilled with words. I will praise your mighty deeds, O Sovereign Lord, I will tell everyone that you alone are just. O God, you have taught me from my earliest childhood, and I constantly tell others about the wonderful things you do. Now that I am old and grey, do not abandon me, O God. Let me proclaim your power to this new generation, your mighty miracles to all who come after me, Your righteousness, O God, reaches to the highest heavens. You've done such wonderful things. Who can compare with you, O God? You have allowed me to suffer much hardship. But you will restore me to life again and lift me up from the depths of the earth. So there are a number of themes that come out of that, three main themes. I think in reflecting on what had obviously been a long life, the psalmist marveled at the extent of God's knowledge, how he knew the person as an individual. So we see in verse 6, you've been with me from birth. In verse 7, my life is an example to many because of the strength, the protection that God has given. But that almost immediately goes into verse 9, don't abandon me. So here we have an individual who has had great experience of God, who is convinced that God has known him through and through all his life, for whom there are so many examples of God's protection that it is an example to many, fearful that God will abandon him. Is that possible? Is it possible for God to abandon him? That's not within God's character. But even for someone with all those experiences, that fear will come. And obviously his enemies believed it too. Because they were thinking that God was no longer protecting him. Verse 20, you have allowed me to suffer much hardship. Uh, There are some parts of the Christian church that promote prosperity gospel, the idea that if you become a Christian, everything will work out well for you. That's not the experience that we see in the Bible. It's not the experience um, that Jesus tells us that we have to look forward to. But there is always a purpose, not always a purpose that we see. Just before Christmas, um, we got some information from a source we trusted about a pastor in a church in ISIS controlled territory in the Middle East. Um, And that quotation is coming up on the screen, has come up on the screen. So there we see, um, in the midst of all the difficulties that there are, all the immediate problems for the three men who were killed for the families who lost them, they weren't rescued from their suffering in the sense that we would have liked to have seen. But I was really challenged by the first part of that quotation, that when we see danger, we run towards it. That sense that our natural inclination, whenever we see a risky situation, whenever we see something that threatens how we are, how we live, we have a choice to make. And sometimes it is the right choice to move away, to move on to a different situation, to escape. Sometimes God is calling us to run towards the danger. Uh, And there's a quotation that follows that too, emphasizing that it's out of brokenness uh, that fruit comes. It's the seed that falls into ground. It's the bread that's broken. Um, And the experience that we all have of having to go through those phases in our life. So, as we move back into Psalm 71, there are three, three main strands. So, predicting how or when God will act, the teaching and God's style of teaching that moves us on to maturity, and the need for persistence. So, predicting how or when God acts. Verse 7 and 8, as we, we looked at just now, reminded people that God has been strength and protection, has done that in a way that is an example that everyone knows, but that's immediately followed by that sense in verse 19 and 15 that there is a real fear within the psalmist that God has abandoned them, will abandon them, will not come to their rescue. But it moves on to the dependence in verse 14. I will keep on hoping. And there's a sense there too, of of both a determination of the will, I will choose to keep on hoping despite the fact that everything around me uh, makes me suspect that what I'm hoping in is not true. But there's also a sense of which it is in the future as well, um, that what we may be hoping for will not come quickly. It may come at some stage. In the future, we may never see the outcome. Similarly, in verse 15, the choice to keep on asserting that God is righteous, despite the fact that life is difficult, life is challenging, um, that people close to me have not been rescued, that I am suffering um, in whatever way. Nonetheless, The choice, the deliberate decision to keep on asserting that God is righteous, that His power is sufficient. And then there's God's way of teaching. We all have different learning styles. Um, We all respond in different ways. We had two children of our own. And when they were younger, with one of them, a slight raising of the voice would be enough to change their behavior. Uh, and they would do whatever we thought they ought to be doing. With the other one, you could do whatever you chose. You should shout, scream, whatever else is legitimate nowadays that I'm not prepared to own up to that we did when they were young. Uh, Not a shadow of change at all. Two children from the same genetic mix, uh, two very different ways of responding to exactly the same situation. And we all have our, our different ways of learning. Uh, The psalmist again points out that God had taught him from his earliest childhood and he passed that on. But how does God teach us? How does God teach you? David would have had very little in the way of written material. Obviously he wrote a lot of the psalms so uh, he'd had the process of creating them um, but he didn't have the resources that we have got. What he did have was a great wealth of experience, which is great, but not enough in itself. The thing that really made the difference for David was that remarkable ability that he had to interpret those experiences, to recognize not only what was happening, but how God was working in them, how this fitted with God's character and personality. So there are those two strands in that recognizing the presence of God, responding to him in praise, being honest about what he has done, being confident in his ability to rescue us out of difficult situations, to provide whatever we need for the next few minutes, the next hour, the next day. So Maggie's now going to come up and, and she's going to share some of her own experiences.
1: When Kevin first asked me if I wanted to add anything to his um, talk this morning, my original answer was a very definite no. I thought, <coughs> what could I say? What would I... Could Offer that would be helpful. And then I remembered the teaching that Paul gave of the older woman sharing with the younger woman. And I thought, well, okay, I've had experiences. So this is for the young women here, but men, you, you can tune in too. Um, this psalm, Psalm 71, as I was reading it after Kevin said that Pastor Ryan had asked him It straight away made me think of my favorite or one of my favorite Psalms, which actually I want to go on to now, which is Psalm 13. I know it sounds like I'm digressing, but um, there in Psalm 13, uh, David is opening up to God. He's being totally honest. He is in absolute despair. He's feeling rejected. He's hurt. And he's almost angrily shouting out to God, demanding of God, just, when are you going to help me? And I can picture David standing there uh, shouting out to God, how long, God? And if we look in, in, well, I'll I'll turn, you don't need to, to Psalm 13. He says in the first couple of verses, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever? How long will you look the other way? How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? Turn and answer me, O Lord my God. Restore the sparkle to my eyes. I too have been in that position when I've had several very prolonged periods of illness. I have demanded of God to listen to me, to answer me. I too have shouted out to God, how long, how long is this going on for? When are you going to answer the prayers of me, my family, my church? How long? David was open and honest to God. He didn't hide his feelings. And I found that so encouraging that I could do that too we can be that honest to God. As we know, life isn't always easy. In fact, we often find it isn't fair. We can feel impatient. We can be impatient, just as David did when we feel God isn't slow or is being slow to act. And sometimes we never see the answers we have prayed for, longed for, and hoped for. But instead of giving up when David was in despair, he held on to his faith. So turning back to Psalm 71, the writer, who, who may well have been David, says in verse 12, as he calls out to God, saying, Don't stay away from me. Please hurry to help me. But in verses 3 to 5, he says, Be my rock of safety, where I can always hide. You are my rock. You alone are my hope. It can be very challenging to trust in this way when the appearance of everything seems to be to the contrary, which I found too. But just as David at times felt despair, and pleaded with God never to leave him. He knew that in spite of his feelings, God was his strength and support at all times, that God would never abandon him. And in my experience, I too have found that this is true.
0: Okay. So... What are the differences when you're in a church, whether you're older or you're younger? If you're older, there's a tendency, not universally true, of course, like all generations, to weariness. If you're younger, there's a tendency to enthusiasm, I hope, Um, and how do the two match with each other? For the older people, mixing with younger people is a great encouragement. When we first came here, um, we became part of a community group fairly soon. Being the summer, there was only one group operating, um, and it happened to be made up of, I suppose, 20, I was gonna say 20-odd, some of them are quite odd, aren't you, Um, young people. And uh, it was a lovely time. Um, it's great to be part of a young, passionate community. Uh, us older people uh, have the opportunity to shape the enthusiasm, to focus it in, to make sure it is productive, um, not, to, not to squash it, not to stimulate it by um, the, the negativism that we see coming through in Ecclesiastes and in some of the experiences that people put over. But there's a really good mix that can come from uh, the mixes of the age. Again, being older, being younger, the ability to make time as opposed uh, to less time because of family pressures, because of career pressures, and so on. And there's that lovely quotation from Vincent de Paul which um, goes back well over 400 years. Um, I almost was going to say before America existed in its present form, but I probably ought not to. Um, So that quotation there. Um, that recognition that one of the devices that stops us being passionate about God is all the other things that we can pick up doing, and that can be within the church as well as outside. Um, So that's something to guard against as well. That ability to see the relative importance of things as against the risk that the pressing, the urgent, is seen as more important. Uh, So we can learn and grow from each other In that respect, but above all, the one common thing that we all experience, as Paul wrote in Romans, that all things work together for good. That every experience that we go through, whether it's one we ought to have avoided, whether it's one we couldn't have avoided, whether it's one we chose wisely about, all those God will work together for good. We can have that absolute assurance and confidence. So where, in a nutshell, do we come from, from Psalm 71, um, from these experiences of a long life? There is this great challenge about um, knowing about God and living it out. I mentioned earlier on the, um, the charismatic renewal in England in the 60s. Up to that time, um, there was a lot of knowledge, um, a lot of formality in the church. And after that time, the release of the Spirit produced some excesses in the opposite direction. Um, So the Spirit was so powerful and was so used, but it wasn't rooted at times in a knowledge and understanding of the depth and the profundity of the character of God and the ways in which he worked. And it is that ability to bring the two in harmony. The Christian life is about what we do, more than about what we know, but we need to be able to be confident that what we're doing is in line with the personality and the character of God. So keeping those two in harmony. And again, we see that in Psalm 71. The experience that the psalmist had, the way he lived it out, the recognition of God's hand in that, and then the ability to make future decisions on the basis of, of his understanding of God's character. Um, So we have those huge resources that the Bible gives us. We have all the teaching, we have all the things we can grow and share from each other. Um, And Christian life is a progression. It's like we grow, we have so many babies now, and even in the two to three years that we have been here, we have seen ones that weren't born then, uh, now running around uh, having distinctive characters of their own. And it's the same with us. We come into faith, we grow, we mature. Um, And the aspiration must always be that mature understanding. But combined with passionate living. uh, Passion takes many forms, sometimes more overt than others, but it's being passionate about God and about achieving His purposes. Because the real danger, I think, that we see looking back over the years uh, that we've been around um, is that need to keep on keeping on. Um, we go through seasons in life. Weariness is a real challenge. From, I mentioned the book Crazy Love that we've been looking at in um, our community group. And one of the quotes from that was this one. If life is a river, then we need to swim. And we need to swim upstream. And one of the consequences of that is that if we stop swimming, we go back down again. You don't stay stationary. And that's one of the good things about community groups. It keeps us moving forward. It's a good thing about studying the Bible. It's a good thing about praying. It's a good thing about getting together on a Sunday. In, uh, in the Gospels, in Luke, um, Jesus says a similar thing. If we try to hang on to what we've already got, actually, it's of no benefit to us. We may hang on to us, but actually, what is the value in that? Um, There is so much more to be gained. That doesn't necessarily change anything that we do or anything that we experience. What it does change is our perspective, the focus, the ambition that we have in doing it. So what are the key dangers that we have seen The challenge, the dilemma, is the fear that God might abandon us. But the reality is that he will not do that. But we may well abandon him. In Hosea, God points out, people of Israel, that those three stages, when I fed them, they were satisfied. When they were satisfied, they became proud. Then they forgot me. Is that your experience? Is that my experience? Is that the experience of people around us? It is a real challenge. We seek so much of God. We experience so much of God. He is so generous to us. The risk is that we start to take that for granted. Uh, We lose our focus on him. We see that also in the book of Revelation in the church of Laodicea. When Paul first wrote to that church, um, it was a thriving church one of the churches that had grown up in Asia um, as Paul and others traveled out of Israel um, and around that part of the known world. But 25 years later, it was still a thriving church. But God had a very different perspective on it from what could be seen from the outside. And we have those really challenging words, I know all that you do, that you're neither hot nor cold, Since you are like lukewarm, I will spit you out of my mouth. That's a powerful word, isn't it? Again, is that us? Is that us as individuals? Is that us as a church? Are we really pursuing God and God's calling for us in this community at this time? Are we seeking to use the resources that he has made available, that incredible power, that was sufficient to raise Jesus from the dead that is now available to us. Are we seeing that in our lives? Are we seeing that in the church's life? The good news, of course, is that God didn't finish with spitting the threat to spit them out of his mouth. Carries on to say, I correct and discipline everyone I love. When we go through hard times as parents with children, that's a product of love. The challenge is to turn from our indifference. And we don't have to go seeking God. It is he who's standing at the door. It's he who is knocking on the door. He's not even waiting for us to look out of the door of our own accord. He is actually knocking, drawing himself to our attention. And what is the result if we open the door? Not only will he come in, not only will he eat with us, but he will eat with us as a friend. So it's not the big, strong, dominant master who's coming in. It's someone who's coming in to be our friend. So there is a real risk that we enjoy what God has provided for us. We continue to seek more from God, but we only give back the leftovers. When we pray, It's snatched times of prayer. Our concentration easily goes onto other things. We give him the time that's left after a busy life, the money that is easily parted with. Those things that don't cause embarrassment, those things that don't require us to take risks. What does God call us to do? To seek first his kingdom. We will then get everything we need. Ryan mentioned that we, we meet... Tuesday mornings to pray. And um, Ryan brought along a a poem recently that I found very powerful, um, written probably 100 years ago. Um, And it seemed to encapsulate all that God is available. So, relevant parts of it. He gives more grace as our burdens grow greater. He sends more strength as our labors increase. To added afflictions he adds his mercy. To multiply trials, he multiplies peace. When we've exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed before the day is even half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men, for out of his infinite riches in Jesus... He gives and gives and gives again. So Paul himself looked back on a long life, a long life of challenge. And we see as he set out in his letter to the Philippians, his thoughts as he came to the end of his life. So we see in those first section there in um, chapters three and then into chapters four, urging us all to pattern our lives on him to learn from what he has experienced the warning of the dangers of going along a different path and the consequences of it reminding us in verse 20 that we are children of heaven eagerly waiting for Jesus to return as our saviour and he will take what we have and turn it into something very much better and urges us then at the end stay true to the Lord. Keep on. Keeping on. Uh, so just briefly uh, we've looked a lot at our personal relationship with, with God and the effect that that has. But there's also a much bigger picture. The world is changing um, and there are some big issues and the principles in Psalm 71 apply equally to then. We within the church have a responsibility for the health of a society. In many societies, so many of the huge, significant changes over time have been as a result of the work of Christians. So many of the huge damage to society has been a result of the church as well. If we look back over history and the way the church has misused power, the way the church has approached so many contentious issues over hundreds of years, have caused enormous pain and suffering. But we know that Jesus is the answer. We know that he has the power and the resources and he has placed those within us. Traditional Christian responses have not always been up to the mark. And it's a challenge for us to fulfill that sole obligation that Jesus placed on us when asked to say what is the heart of the Christian gospel. Love God. Love him completely. Love others as much as we love ourselves. So Paul again in Philippians reflected on that. Paul had been talking about his life as an incredibly religious Jew. Um, One of the leaders of his generation, most knowledgeable in the law, most effective in putting the law into practice. And then he concluded, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And then he talks about what happened then as a result of what he did. And then he finishes up. God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, to share in his death. That desire to change his attitude, to change his his thought process. Those those words, those last words, um, have become a song. And it's a song we're going to, uh, to move into as we start our time of worship. All I once held dear built my life upon all the world reveres and wars to earn, To own. All I once thought gain I have counted loss spent and worthless now compared to this knowing you, Jesus. Let's stand and pray and then we'll move into our time of worship. So Father, thank you for all you have been to us over so many weeks, days, months, years, whatever our life experience is. Thank you that we know we have the choice as the psalmist to be confident that you will continue that for the future regardless of the situations you put us in. And Father, we want to want to desire you. We want to have that passion to live out your life. And we pray that you will release that into us more, that you will release your spirit more and more. You will make us more and more willing to allow your spirit to work into us. Thank you, Father, for all your goodness to us. Amen.